Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Well, it's finally upon us. The Florida legislature officially convenes its 2020 session on January 14th, that's next Tuesday, and the education agenda is quickly shaping up. Much of the attention goes to Governor Ron DeSantis' proposal to spend nearly $1 billion improving teacher pay, a plan that could stretch the state's resources or the governor's political capital with less enthusiastic members of the House. Teachers plan a huge rally in Tallahassee on Monday to call attention to their needs and desires, including a plan that has nothing to do with the governor's continued reliance on bonuses. At nearly the same time, the Senate will hold an education committee meeting that takes on the salary issue, but also shows its hand on other key topics it plans to press during the coming two months. Among them, state charter school authorization, expanded voucher eligibility, and mental health services. With me today, as always, when we talk Tallahassee, is our Capitol Bureau education reporter, Emily Mahoney. This is the Tampa Bay Times Gradebook Podcast. Well, Emily, I want to wish you a happy new year and welcome back to Podcast 2020. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, here we go again. Here we go again. And I really thought we'd be starting off this podcast by talking about all the new standards that Richard Corcoran is promoting to Ron DeSantis, as as the governor called for an elimination of the Common Core from Florida's academic guidelines and due by January 1. It is January 8, and I haven't seen the report. Have you? No, and that's a really good point. You know, we published a story yesterday about how the governor's office has told us they've received uh, Commissioner Corcoran's finalized recommendations for the new school standards, but they are so far declining to give them to us or to make them public in any way. So we have filed a records request, as this is seems to be by, by all definitions a public document under uh, Florida's open records law, um, but they told us that the state lawyers need to review our request and it will, it will happen when it happens. So unfortunately, um, I know a lot of people, including us, but also a lot of parents and, you know, people in, invested in the school standards process have been kind of following this over the last year, but so far we have not heard anything on what those finalized uh, recommendations look like. It's really interesting to me that I went to one of the hearings that they held in October. It was the second draft public input sessions. I was in Tampa. There were a lot of people who came in. Some people came from the United Teachers of Dade complaining, you haven't had a hearing down in Miami or Fort Lauderdale yet. You don't want to hear from us, the biggest constituencies in the state. And the chancellor, Jacob Oliva, told them, hey, you know, we're planning to release a third draft. We're going to have another round of public hearings. We'll be down there in Miami to hear from you before we send anything out. And um, right now, we haven't even seen that third draft. They haven't had another round of hearings. You spoke to Karen Ephraim, who has been pushing really hard to get the Common Core out of Florida for a long time. And from what you said, she was pretty confused by what was happening. Is that not right? Right. She said yesterday, you know, she... She applauded the governor's efforts to take out Common Core or, you know, to revise the standards in this way. But even she, who's been following this this process really closely, said that she was confused by, like you said, some of the promises that were made toward the end of last year that we really haven't seen come to fruition in terms of a third draft or, or um, more stops added on the state's listening tour. So it's kind of, it's, 
it's kind of a strange uh, thing that's happened. You know, this was a process that was really out in the open. They welcomed input from the public and, and did all these public stops. And now in just like the past few weeks, the past month or so, uh, things have kind of come to a halt and we haven't really heard much and they're not releasing the finalized recommendations publicly. So we will be, I know that Jeff, you and I will both be continuing to ask for it constantly over the next few days and hopefully we get some resolution on that soon. Yeah, it's just kind of leading to a lot of speculation. I've heard, you know, some of the cynics, the critics, the watchers, they're saying things like, hmm, I wonder if Corcoran and DeSantis are on the same page, or maybe they haven't been able to get out as much of the Common Core as they thought they could have. So it should be really interesting to see what the outcome is when the recommendations finally do become public. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Well, next up, we're going to talk about Monday, which will be the first day before session starts, and there's a lot of things planned, and um, we're going to get to that in a second. This is the Tampa Bay Times Gradebook Podcast. So, Emily, on Monday, it's a pretty big day. We have teachers who are planning a massive rally, and at the same time, we have the Senate that's going to pretty much lay out some of the biggest bills in education. They're pretty meaty and very significant, and it's going to be happening at the same time. What are you going to do? I know. I, I uh, have to admit, I didn't anticipate the day before session officially starts to be maybe my busiest day of the week, but here we are. Um, so, yeah, as you said, I, I mean, what will probably happen is I will end up um, covering outside the Capitol, on the steps of the historic Capitol. There is a, a rally planned by the Florida Education Association the statewide teachers union, um, and they said they will include, you know, parents and teachers and just education advocates alike to uh, advocate for some of their priorities this session, and they're promising it will have, you know, record numbers. We'll see uh, how many people are there on Monday. Tallahassee is such a hard place for so many people to get to, I think. Um but we will see. And then, as you said, at the same time, at 1 p.m., there is a Senate Education Committee meeting with just a ton of really substantive bills on the agenda. Yeah, one of the bills that I was looking at is the one that I think that the teachers are really coming to talk about, and it's Manny Diaz's bill on teacher pay, 1088, for those who are keeping track at home. And it is really putting forward the governor's pay plan. It, it wants to set the motion in place for allowing a general appropriation that will allow the state to then create a salary pay increase for teachers. Have you heard anybody talking anything about that? Because I know that the House does not have that bill. And in fact, I've heard that they're not going to release any sort of bill like that until maybe the third week of session. Right. And, and you know, it's been so interesting, even before session starts, to follow I know the different opinions of all the different lawmakers of, about what should be done when it comes to teacher pay. And Jeff, you and I both published that story uh, somewhat recently, kind of about how everybody is in support generally for increasing teacher pay. But when you go beyond that baseline kind of position and get even slightly into the details, there are just a lot of different opinions about how that should happen. And uh, Diaz is a good example of, a, you know, there are some Republicans from Miami who have raised the point that DeSantis's, uh minimum teacher salary number that he threw out, 47500 
is already the minimum salary in Monroe County and is not far off from what uh, the minimum salary is in Miami-Dade. And so, you know, they've kind of raised the question of, is it fair for taxpayers from South Florida to be paying for teachers all over the state to get, like, substantial raises, but they're not going to really be seeing the benefits of that, even though their teachers are struggling just as much to pay for their daily costs because living in South Florida is simply more expensive. Um, and so, you know, that's one issue we've heard already being raised. Also, some leaders in the Senate, uh, President Bill Galvano, said that he's hesitant for the state to necessarily uh, insert itself into what has typically been a local decision by the school boards, which is setting teacher salaries. So there's just so much going on here. There's a lot of um, kind of tension and sporadic different ideas being raised. And that doesn't necessarily mean that overall the plan to give teachers a raise is in trouble. I think it's too early to say, but um, I definitely think that whatever the final product is going to be is going to look different from what the governor originally proposed. Yeah, and already there's a lot of jockeying. Uh, Senator Diaz has included in his bill a provision sort of speaking to what you talked about, about already having that minimum, that if you're already at that minimum, you get your share in your district to spend on other things. Uh, another Miami-Dade senator, a Democrat, Jose Javier Rodriguez, has put in a bill that would basically say, hey, we want to ask voters to make it crystal clear that school boards set salaries, not the legislature, which is something that the unions have said over and over again. And that would sort of change the dynamic of, of how the money gets spent, which was an issue that came up in 2014 when Rick Scott tried to give teacher raises. So there's so much going on and it's going to be really interesting. But like you said, I really do think there's going to be something that will happen. We just don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the House is expected to release its own teacher pay plan. Um, we might see something similar come out in the Senate. The Senate might release something totally different. And a lot of it still kind of remains to be seen. There are other bills in this Monday meeting that are also pretty big, and they deal with some pretty big topics. Uh, I know you've been looking at Kelly Stargell's Bill 62, which is the first one of the first items on that agenda, and she is the chairman of Education Appropriations, and so she's got some some swing, I guess we would call it. What do you think about what's in there and what it might accomplish? Tell us a little bit about that bill. Right, so that bill is interesting because I mean, in some ways, it really just kind of crystallizes things that the legislature has already uh, been talking about, uh, especially last year. Um, it clarifies that any time a school board has a resolution to raise local sales tax, that it must explicitly say how much of that will be going to charter schools. Um, and that was a big issue in the previous session about whether past referendums would be required to also be shared with charter schools or if it's only... Uh, ones that are passed in the future, and that is what they ended up deciding on, was that it's only one passed, you know, starting in the future and not retroactive, applying that retroactively, but um, just kind of making that crystal clear so that um, in in the future, school districts cannot claim, um, as we saw them saying before, that the, that was not the intention, that voters were not aware this was going to charter schools, and so that everyone will be on the same page from the beginning, that when voters approve uh, measures like this, then it will be shared with charter schools. Um, there's also kind of an interesting piece of that that also relates to the mental health funding. That was a new pot of money created after the Parkland shooting in 2018. 
Um, it's, it kind of attaches new requirements for uh, the ways that the school district have to spend that money and, and requiring that they have, for example, specific policies and procedures for responding to a, stu- a student with suicidal ideation, including risk assessment guidelines for informing parents and school board policies for initiating involuntary examination. So that's another issue that's been raised a lot um, in, in the kind of fallout of Parkland is that the, the state doled out all this mental health money, but then we unfortunately saw some, uh, like a, a spike in suicides of Parkland survivors or people kind of associated with the tra- the original tragedy, and um, there wasn't really any language relating to suicide prevention in the mental health plans that districts were turning into the state. So this is something that they're all, they've also been tightening up on and, and making sure that when districts get the state money, they are using it in part to deal with, you know, what is unfortunately um, a big problem with, with young people. And those are just two of the pieces. There's another part of that bill that would also talk about creating early college programs where colleges work with school districts and changing the funding resources for school districts in order for students who um, complete successfully programs there leading up to degrees before they get into college itself while they're still in high school. So that's just one bill and there's more. So (laughs) I I was looking also at another Manny Diaz bill. He's got a lot of them. You know, you'd think that he's the chairman of this committee, but he certainly runs a lot of the conversation and fields a lot of the bills when it comes to major education issues. And this one is on charter schools. We know that the state has been for a long time looking for ways to have a state authorizer of charter schools. And this bill 536 would establish a quote, high performing charter school council at the state level to advise the state board of education for charters that want to replicate existing schools that have been deemed high performing by the state. And that would be a new process. Uh, In the past, all sorts of ways of trying to create a state authorizer have been thrown out by the courts or just not even gotten through the legislature. I know that they tried to put that idea in front of the voters in 2018 as an amendment to the Constitution, and it got thrown out there too. I wonder if this will have more legs or because it's a little more refined and a little more focused. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you see this as a state uh, authorizer or more having an advisory role to the state board? Well, the way that I look at it is would be an application directly to the state as opposed to an application to the district. The way that the legislation seems to read is that you would apply to the state as a high-performing charter. This council would review your application and make a recommendation to the state board, which would then direct the local school district to allow or not allow this charter school to operate. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if that's a state authorizer per se, because you still involve the school district, sort of, but it's sort of as a do this school board, we told you to do it. So from that perspective, maybe it's a state authorizer light. And uh, it would be interesting to see how that plays out, too. So that's that's been an issue for years in the state of Florida. And maybe it will come to some sort of fruition on this method, as opposed to some of the others, which have been, say, allowing colleges to be state authorizers that bill came through last year the house and didn't really go anywhere and didn't make it into law so i think that's been filed again this year as well but that's not what's up before the senate on monday this one is and so we'll we'll be watching that bill 
Um, do you have any thoughts about any of the, have any other bills caught your attention? Because they have mine. Yeah, I was actually looking at Senate Bill 1164 by Senator Perry, which expands the eligibility for the Gardner Scholarships, uh, for also, um, can be used by three-year-olds, and it expands the coverage to also include music, theater, and art lessons. Um, what do you think about that, Jeff? You've been following the Gardner Scholarships for many years. Well, I know that Senator Perry is a big supporter of the arts education and, and also school choice. So this kind of dovetails all of those ideas into one. The, the, the Gardner Scholarship is one of those vouchers that people don't seem to ever fight about because it seems like something that is good. Who's going to say no to giving education that is needed to the students with disabilities? And so then the question is, how far is that voucher actually going to go? Because usually it's been focused on education in the public, in the schools, not necessarily the public schools, but in the schools. Now you're talking about three-year-olds who are preschool by their very nature. That's not even VPK. And you're also talking about art lessons, which could be something completely outside the education system. But we know that arts often help regular students, not to mention students with special needs and in learning and, and expanding. So this seems like something that could be popular again uh, if there's a stomach for expanding the vouchers. I know there's other bills out there that are looking at expanding other vouchers and eligibility for those as well. And so I, I think it'll be really interesting to see if this one goes forward. But, you know, it's it's like another one of those toes in the water and Senator Perry has been trying for a long time to do something to get some sort of arts education program expanded and growing out there. And so why not do it in a way that serves everyone, right? So maybe by tying it to Gardner, it will gain a little more steam. So those are like some of the major bills that are on that on that um, agenda. But there's one more, isn't there? Senate Bill 1218, which is one that also ties into schools that receive vouchers or, or tax credit scholarships. And I, I found it to be interesting because at the same time that we're hearing that bills that would prevent those private schools that receive those vouchers and scholarships from, from discriminating against students based on, say, LGBT status or, or disability status because the leadership doesn't think it's necessary, is now looking at requiring those private schools in order to receive this money to publish, to adopt and publish policies that spell out exactly how they will deal with anti-bullying and anti-harassment in the student code of conduct. And so it sounds to me like this message is coming through that if you're going to take this money, there has to be some protections for the students who are coming into your school. How much does that tie into that HOPE scholarship that they created where people were trying to get out of their public schools because of being bullied and everybody said, yeah, but you're not forcing these other schools to tell whether their bullying po policies are problematic? Right, exactly. And when I first read that, I immediately thought of that argument uh, that we heard when they passed the HOPE scholarship, um, which, of course, is, like you said, a, a voucher for students who are bullied in their public school systems uh, to be able to attend um, a private school using state money. Um, and so, like you said, we had heard one of the main arguments against that scholarship was, well, if they're bullied in the public school system, what is it to say, like, how would we know that that um, them going to a private school is, is going to improve that situation at all? And so at least this would require, you know, some, some specific policies 
that, like you said, would need to be adopted and published by these private schools um, to ensure that they, they have a plan to address bullying and things like that. One thing that I've noticed with most of these major bills, like the teacher pay bill, is that there aren't yet House companions for them. We know that these issues are going to come up, but the House hasn't played its cards yet. Have you heard at all what they're planning to do? Are they in the reactive mode this year, as opposed to in the past where they've been the leading force and and driving all the legislation? I would say that, um, you know, just in general, we've seen uh, the House committees meeting uh, less often than the Senate committees in kind of the committee weeks leading up to the start of uh, session next week. Um, It just seems to me that the House in general is, is taking a little bit longer to really get going um, and of course there are theories about why that is. One of them is, um, the fact that the speaker, Jose Oliva, uh, was really able to pass, uh, the large majority of his major priorities last year, which were mostly in the healthcare sector. Um, and so, you know, he, he really got a lot of what he had been pushing for last year. And so perhaps there's, um, less of a sense of urgency to get going immediately from the get-go because of that. But, but who knows? But I would say that this is not unique to education. Um, just in general, the, the House has been much less active so far. What about the fact that the Speaker is not Richard Corcoran? I know that he was really involved in education in his speakership, and now he's the Education Commissioner, and we haven't heard from him yet. We know back in March he was talking about ideas like having the State Board of Education be granted more authority to take over schools that aren't performing well. We haven't seen a bill like that yet. Is it maybe that we're just waiting to see what Richard Corcoran does? Well, he definitely still has a lot of influence um, just in general because he is the commissioner of education, but obviously he knows the legislative process well. And uh, it's not infrequent that I see him walking around the Capitol and meeting with lawmakers during the legislative session. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, his, his priorities will certainly get... Um, uh, reception of some kind uh, by lawmakers. And, um, you know, one thing, too, that we're still kind of waiting to hear, but we hear is coming, is that it's a big bill on school safety. Um, you know, we had that grand jury report, and the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission also issued a report with recommendations um, as to things that they want the legislature to do to perhaps increase penalties on school districts that aren't following some of the new requirements imposed after Parkland. Um, we still haven't seen really a version of that bill in either chamber. So, you know, it's still so early and there's still a lot, a lot yet to happen. Well, I guess you should be glad that that's not coming up on Monday too. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the only big thing that's not as soon. So I just want to wish you good luck on your Monday covering things up in Tallahassee. We'll be watching from afar and I'll offer to help you with what I can, but obviously I won't be there. So good luck. Thank you, and uh, here's to a uh, busy and exciting session. We'll be keeping, you know, hopefully we can do more of these podcasts to keep everybody up to date as to what the heck is going on in Tallahassee. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's topic, please go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and add your comments to the post of this podcast. To keep up with the latest in Florida education news, please visit our blog, www.tampabay.com gradebook. Have comments, questions, or concerns about this podcast? Want to hear about something else? Send us an email at jsolacek at tampabay.com. 
or add a review to the site where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Stitcher, and Google. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.